I'm so grateful that we get to gather around God's word this morning. Hopefully some of you from One Hope are gathering in person for the first time in a few months. And I hope that's just the most wonderful experience. If you're still online, I just want to say thank you, One Hope, for your faithfulness and sitting under the words under the word of God for week after week, disciplining yourself to come and listen to teaching on God's word. So this morning we're going to be talking out of Hebrews chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me, verse 14 to 16. And let me just remind us as you do that, what we spoke about last week, we're speaking about prayer and I linked prayer and faith and we looked at Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 11. And the big take home was that prayer in itself is a tremendous act of faith. When we come, even even when we're not very good at praying, even when we haven't learned the right phrases yet, even when you haven't had a quiet time for 10 days, you know, sometimes we want to place our confidence in these things and that qualifies us to pray. Even when we haven't prayed, just the act of prayer itself is a tremendous act of faith because we're declaring, we're declaring every time we pray, no matter how much we feel like we're bumbling our words, no matter how inarticulate we are, as we pray, we're declaring what Hebrews 11 says says it says it's impossible to please God without faith anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him and that's what you're declaring you're declaring God I believe that you exist and that I need you you're declaring your dependence on him and then not only are you declaring that but in faith you're saying I believe that you hear me And then I believe that you hear me and that you're good and that you're kind and that you care about the details of my life. And I want to bring them before you in prayer. I want to sit with you. I want to tell you about them. And I do all of that. The fourth thing we spoke about last week, because I believe that you are powerful and able and willing to work on my behalf in my life, in my friend's life, in the world that I live in. And so faith and prayer are inextricably linked. And I want you to remember every time you get on your knees and you lose your concentration and your mind wanders off somewhere else, or you feel guilty and you feel like I've been so full of sin in this last little season of my life. How can I come and sit before God in prayer? I want you to remember that every time that you come in prayer before the Father, you're declaring faith. You're saying, I believe in you, God. This morning, we're going to change tack a little bit as we turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to speak about prayer and confidence. How do you come confidently to the Father? Are you able to come confidently? What about when you've sinned? What about when you're carrying shame? What about when you have poor disciplines and you haven't been able to wake up and you just roll over when the alarm goes off and you haven't prayed for days? What about if you're facing an emergency and you feel guilty because you haven't prayed in your normal life? And now it's like, can I just bring this emergency before God? So I want to speak about confidence. I want to speak about a weakness. I want to speak about a great high priest. I want to speak about Jesus. And we're going to do all of that out of this text in Hebrews. So let's read together God's word. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Now remember the context for these Jewish Christians is that they are second guessing their decision to follow Jesus. They're facing persecution. It's difficult. It's hard. It's not what they thought it would be. All of these 
things. And the author is writing to them and again and again throughout the book of Hebrews is saying, hold fast to what you believe. You haven't made a mistake. Don't second guess yourself. Keep clinging to Jesus. And then it carries on and says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Thank you, God, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Do you need him today? Do you need grace? Do you need mercy? Do you need his kindness to speak over your life, to speak over your sin, to speak over your ill discipline, to speak over that that part of you that just feels like, man, I wish I was something different. I, I despise this part of me. You've come to the right place. Let's pray this morning. Father, as we gather around your word, thank you that it's living and active that it works to change us. It's not something we understand. It's something that shapes us. It's more like a tool we would find in a workshop. It cuts off part of us and and sands down part of us and grinds off part of us and shapes us. And our whole lives are different. The way we do our work is different. The way we relate to other people, our spouse or our friend, is different because of what your word teaches us. So as we come to this living word, change us, correct us, rebuke us, love on us, care for us. We pray these things in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So let's start off and I want to just say that this little this little part of Hebrews that we've read, chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, is almost like the statement. It's like the summary statement when you start reading. And then verse chapter 5, 6, and 7 unpacks what this little statement means. It's like the explanation or the lens of how to understand what's going on. So we're going to read it slowly. We're going to go through the different words and the concepts and try and understand it. And we'll use some of chapter 5 as a lens to help us understand. All right, so let's start off here. What does it mean that Jesus is a great high priest? Why is this author speaking to these Jewish believers and saying, Hey, Jesus is the great high priest who has entered heaven. What did it mean to them? And what does that mean to us? What it means is explained beautifully in chapter 5. So let's go there and read verse 1. Speaking about an earthly high priest, it says, Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. Listen to this gorgeous verse 2. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people. Why? Because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sin as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. Now stop there for a moment. So what this is describing is the Mosaic law system. Go read Leviticus, go read Exodus, and you'll find that there's a high priest. And the high priest is the one who represents people in their dealings with God. So when you needed to draw near to God, this high priest would enable you or work as an as a, as a intercessor or an intermediary between you and God. Do you see now why 
The author is calling Jesus our great high priest. The one who represents us in our dealings with God. Do you need to draw near to God? You can't go through Allah or through any other system or through your hot yoga. You have to come through Jesus. This is how we come to him. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. This is our greatest need. How, how, how do we deal with our sinfulness? How do we deal with the fact that we know that we fall short of any standard you want to hold up pretty much against our lives? We fall short. And he's able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people speaking about the earthly high priest because he himself has these weaknesses. He knows that he's going to help you reach God around your sin and to receive forgiveness for your sin, but that he's going to sin just as much and that he needs the forgiveness of God just as much. And this makes him gentle and makes him caring and makes him sympathetic because he understands he's not hypocritical that he must offer his own sacrifices for his own sins, the earthly high priest. Carries on in verse 5. This is why Christ, speaking about the difference between now Christ and the Aaron or the Mosaic law priesthood. This is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become the high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And so since then, we have a great high priest what it means is that we have what was available to these Israelites in a, in a shadow system. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Aaron priesthood. He's the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. We don't need it anymore because Jesus has come and fulfilled it. He's the great high priest. And so all of those benefits that we see, we get, but we get them in far greater measure in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few little examples of that. Think about the earthly high priest. He couldn't forgive every sin. There were sins like murder, sins like adultery, sins like neglecting the Sabbath that sacrifices didn't cover. There was no sacrifice that he could bring to forgive you before God. Jesus, on the other hand, is able to forgive us of everything, every single sin, the the sins in the worst, your top drawer, worst top sins. Jesus is able to forgive that. Well, why? Why can he do that? Well, the earthly priest, the earthly high priest couldn't forgive you your sins because he himself was full of sin. He was riddled with the stuff. And so one sinful man dying for another sinful man or a sinful woman doesn't achieve much. But Jesus, the sinless lamb, is able to die. And once and for all, we're forgiven of every sin. There's one more tiny part here that I want to show you because it's just so precious to me. When I read Hebrews 4 and verse 14, I want to ask you, whose, whose is this great high priest? And the answer, it says, since we have a great high priest. And later on, it says, so led us. See how personal it is? This is not a God far removed. This is not a God out there for others. This is our great high priest. He's yours. He's, He's mine. He's enabled us in my life. I can draw near to God with confidence because of Jesus. Now, That's the first metaphor or analogy that the author uses. And then he he or she uses this this odd phrase, um, the high priest who has entered heaven. 
Jesus, the Son of God. The ESV says it like this, who's passed through the heavens. Now, what does that mean? And why is that important for these people reading the scripture? And why is that important for me? Well, it's incredibly important because if we go and read further down in chapter 5, we'll see it says this, while Jesus was here on earth. Now, just stop and think about that. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, God come down to earth. And now we're reading about God passing through the heavens. But before he passed through the heavens, he had to come and be pressed into the form of a man. Jesus is pressed into limitations. He's pressed into weakness. He's pressed into not knowing everything. He had to learn things. This is, this is so helpful for us to understand truly who Jesus was but it says while Jesus was here on earth he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death now sure this speaks about the whole life of Christ you read the gospels you can't escape how much Jesus prayed how much he went to find solitary places to cry out to his father but more specifically in the writer's mind He's thinking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his death, crying out to God, crying loud cries and tears and pleading and offering prayers and asking God, can you rescue me from death? And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, He learned obedience from the things he suffered. This is how you need to see it. Because sometimes we think, well, Jesus, easy peasy for you. You God's son, you have some kind of superpower, some kind of some kind of special way. You don't face the temptations I face. You don't face the brokenness, the weakness, the, 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 the struggle with my daily life. You don't face the tiredness that I face, Jesus. You don't face the emotional up and down. And God's word comes and slaps us around the face and says, no, you're wrong. It says, and God, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Guys, what this means is that God, in a way, enrolled Jesus in a training school. And so when Jesus was a child, he began to learn to obey God and obey his parents. And then throughout his life, Jesus faces increasing challenges of obedience. Is he going to obey God? He faces suffering in a tremendous way. Not just the ultimate suffering that our minds always jump to the cross. But think about the the Pharisees and the Sadducees constantly belittling Jesus. Constantly in the public places, ruining, trying to ruin his reputation. Trying to physically kill him. Think about the weakness and the infighting of the disciples and how this must have been such a trial to Jesus. Think about the crowds pressing in on him so much that sometimes they couldn't even eat. And he tries to go to the other side on a a boat so that he can have some time alone with his disciples. And the people see where he's going and they follow him there. And he graciously continues to minister to them day after day. But Jesus faced tremendous suffering in the school of God teaching him to obey. And eventually, it says in this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And so Jesus' ultimate test in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he says, Father, not my will, but yours be done, is 
is, is the culmination of a life learning to obey the Father, step by step, learning to obey, to accept the will of the Father, to accept the suffering placed upon Him, to accept the limitations placed upon Him. Now, why is it so powerful, going back to verse 14, that it says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, it's so powerful because it tells us that He won. That he was victorious, that he held on to his beliefs and he held on to his faith that God was who he said he was and he was obedient to God and he won. Now, I want us to avoid the temptation to just think about Jesus rising from the dead, defeating death, all of these precious gospel truths, and to only think about Jesus winning in that sense. No, Jesus won in his life as an earthly man. He defeated disobedience. He learned how to obey God. He defeated suffering in his life. And so when it says that he is now in heaven, that he entered heaven, when it says that he passed through the heavens, what it's teaching us is that he is victorious over this life. And just like us, Jesus faced temptation, weakness, fatigue, broken broken relationships with people broken relationships toward him at least. Jesus faced all of these things and Hebrews 5 helps us to understand that. Carries on in verse 15. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do. Bold, underline what we've just been saying. It just says it again. In the summary little passage, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. Now this is the part where Jesus departs from the analogy of the earthly high priest. Do you remember why the earthly high priest was able to be gentle, to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people. Well it says to us in chapter 5 verse 2. The earthly high priest was able to do that. Because he's subject to the same weaknesses. He knew that he was shot through with sin. So how could he be a hypocrite. And accuse the person coming to him. Needing sacrifice to forgive him for sins. When he's going to need to sacrifice Himself, he's going to need to sacrifice for forgiveness of sins. And so the the earthly high priest learns sympathy and learns how to be gentle and learns how to position himself toward ignorant people and wayward people because of his own sinfulness. But Jesus, it says, had no sin, yet he did not sin. And so how can it say that Jesus, this great high priest of ours, understands our weaknesses? He understands them because he went through the same kind of testing that we did. And he learned obedience in the Father's school of obedience and suffering. He learned, Jesus learned sympathy toward us. And I am so grateful for a Christ who does not look at me and say, do better, Paul. I'm so grateful for a Christ who looks at me and says, I remember I was there. I faced those temptations. Father, forgive these people. It's hard. And he has sympathy and he's able, just like this earthly high priest, to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people. Me, you, Jesus is able to deal gently with us, 
not because he himself faced our weaknesses and sinned, but because he himself faced our weaknesses and never sinned and ascended to the right hand of the Father, glorious, the name above every other name. And yet still the same thing is true of him. But he's so much greater than the earthly high priest. So then, since we have a great high priest who entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. I love the version that says, so let us draw near to God. And the question we're asking this morning is, can we? Can we with confidence draw near in prayer to God? Because prayer is not talking. Prayer is drawing near to God. And this verse is telling us, so then let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now, friends, if I'm honest, when I think about my weakness, when I think about my failure in my disciplines, when I think about the sin that so impacts my life, that impacts not just my life, but the world I live in and those that I love and my children, when I think about these things and I read that Jesus is sinless even though he faced all the weakness a part of me feels shame and a huge part of me feels like Jesus how can I how can I come in prayer and come near the throne of grace it's the very opposite of what the way that I feel is the very opposite of what this verse is teaching us because I feel like because of my inability to defeat my sin. And because Jesus, you were able to defeat your sin. How can I come before you? I feel so ashamed. And yet the very thing that we don't expect happens in this verse. Jesus says, the author says of Jesus and of the father. So because we have this sympathetic high priest who understands our weaknesses, that very reason where we would feel shame, he says, no, no, so because you have this high priest, come boldly, draw near to the throne of our gracious God. And that's the part you need to hear today. That's the part that I need to hear in my shame. He's gracious, so full of grace. And it's there that I receive his mercy. It's there that I will find grace to help me when I need it most. And this is the irony of this text, right? It's when we need his grace most, when we're in our worst moments, when we're in our most sinful moments, when we're in our most down and depressed moments, it feels like we're least qualified to come into the throne room of grace. It feels like we're least qualified. And yet it's the very moment where God is teaching us through his word. That's when you have access because Jesus understands your weakness, because he's sympathetic, because he understands wayward people, because he understands ignorant people. He's able to deal gently with you because he not only understands your weakness but he defeated your weakness and so instead of excluding ourselves from the presence of God in those moments the very thing God wants us to do is to come before the gracious God and he says here's some grace for what you're struggling with 
Here's some mercy. Here's some help. Here's some help. Thank you, Jesus. What, what kind of God? What kind of God do we serve? This just, it blows my mind. The Father that we have. Now I want to finish off with one more thing as we think about prayer and we think about confidence and can we come confidently before the before the father before his throne can we draw near to him and the resounding answer in the text today in this hebrews text is yes yes jesus has made a way yes he hasn't just made a way but he understands he sympathizes he's gentle with our ignorance he's gentle with our waywardness with our broken disciplines and everything else that it means to be human. But there's one more thing here that I want to pull out that I just think is, is so important to the text. I want you to notice two things. That, that first of all, because Jesus is our high priest, because he's our great high priest, it enables us to hold firmly to what we believe. Remember, that's the point of Hebrews. They're writing to these Jewish Christians and they're saying, hey, don't second guess yourself. Hold tightly to what you believe. And friends, I see so many holding tightly to what they believe. This is the truth. This is the truth. And I see people becoming graceless. And I see people becoming judgmental. And I see arrogance. I see spiritual arrogance. So many teachers of the word of God and so many who claim to hold the truth instead of becoming more gracious they become less and less gracious and so well done that you've held on to the truth of God's word and I mean that sincerely we must hold on to what we believe the truth and if you know me for for five minutes you'll know that I'm passionate about theology I'm passionate about holding on to the truth of God's word I'm passionate about what we see in God's word and believing and holding on to it tightly but you're only holding one part of the puzzle you're only holding one of these two things which this text holds so beautifully in tension because I see so many who hold tightly to these truths are not the same people who seem to be drawing near to God in their time of weakness, to a gracious God who's teaching us to be merciful, who says that he's just like an earthly high priest who's gentle, gentle with ignorance, who's gentle with those who are wayward, full of grace, full of kindness, full of sympathy, who sympathizes with our weakness and friends I want to speak to us this morning to those of us who struggle with this who want to hold this high bar these high expectations friends the the the, the metaphor for scripture for what we are is the Pharisees it's the Sadducees it's those who held the truth and didn't for one moment let one t not be crossed and one i not be dotted but at the same time, whose hearts were far from God, they forgot that the real purpose of the law, the real purpose of the truth is to bring us near to God. It's so that we can enter the throne room of grace boldly. It's so that we can draw near. So I want to encourage us, friends, to hold firmly to the truth, but to hold just as firmly to be to, but to hold just as firmly to drawing near to God. And this spills out hugely in the season that we're in. I've seen so many unhelpful things in this COVID season where we are not looking at the word of God and understanding we're holding to the truth that we believe, but we're so ungracious towards others. We're so ungracious towards those who hold a different position. We're not kind. 
We're not thoughtful. We're not gentle. I see mature Christians being bombastic in their position and saying, why do I need to wear a mask? This is just a hoax. I see this going on and my heart is grieved. And I think you have not understood that scripture is teaching us to be gentle. Not just to hold the truth that you may believe, whether you're right or wrong, is not even the point. But the way that we express that truth is to draw near to God and to learn from Him. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy. I ask you, extend mercy to one another and we will find grace to help us. Extend grace to help one another. I don't care what you believe. I care that we extend grace to one another when we need it most. And 5 verse 2, he's able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. Friends, we're going to break bread together. And as we do that, I want to look at one tiny little verse in the section that we've been reading this morning to just help us understand a little bit of what Christ has done. I hope you're with some friends or with some family this morning. I encourage you to take bread, to break it and to drink wine or juice or whatever you have and to remember the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Jesus spilt for us. And I want to look at this one little verse. In verse 7, chapter 5 and verse 7, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. I want to ask you, did God rescue him from death? Well, there's two answers there, right? Because it says, and God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. So God did hear and God did respond. But in that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, what actually happens is that Jesus says to him, God, is there another cup? Is there another way? Is there some other way that I don't have to be the sacrificial lamb here? And God says to him, no, there isn't. And Jesus, who's been in the school of obedience, says to him, Father, then not my will, but your will be done. And then Jesus is crucified. And it seems like this promise, Jesus asking the Father, can you rescue me from death? It seems like the answer is no. And Jesus dies. And then Sunday comes and Jesus is raised from the dead. And so in that moment, what God does is he says, I didn't answer the first prayer in a sense. I didn't answer it in the way that you might have understood Jesus. And I answered, no, you need to die. There's not another way. But then I had a far more glorious plan. I had a far more glorious plan that two, three days later, you would rise from the dead. And so in that moment, I answer that, can I rescue you from death? Absolutely, yes. And because of what Jesus went through today, we say we will pass through the heavens. We will no longer have any weaknesses. We can can ask God, can you rescue me from death? And he answers a resounding yes. You are rescued through the blood of Jesus, my great high priest, the one who passed through the heavens. Verse 9, in this way, through suffering and obedience, God qualified Jesus as a perfect high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation. Eternal salvation for all those who obey him.
Friends, I trust this word has encouraged you. I trust this word has blessed you. I trust that we understand more of the confidence that we have as we draw near to God. That we can pray despite our weakness, despite our failings. None of it is our qualification. It's Jesus and we come near to the throne of God in prayer. Let me ask you this week, will you access the throne room of God? Will you use what's been made available to us, this precious gift brought at the blood, the cost of the blood of Jesus' own life? Will we treat it lightly and just be like, well, I'll see if I can? Or will we come confidently into the throne room of grace and say, Father, thank you. I want to learn to draw near to you. Let me pray as we close. Father, thank you for every person who's listened to this message this morning. Father, would it reverberate in our soul? Would it reverberate in our heart? Would we be filled with gratitude? Would we be filled with fresh confidence? Would we be filled with hope and joy and delight in what you have done? Father, I ask you as we do almost every week for those who do not know you. Father, if they have not placed their trust in you, their faith in you, I want to ask you today, Lord Jesus, that they would see the beauty of what you have done and bring their whole lives, that they would rush with their hearts into the throne room of grace and say, I'm yours. I want to be yours forever. Please forgive me my sins. Thank you that you understand my weakness. Thank you that you're gentle with my wayward life and with my ignorance. Thank you. Teach me. Forgive me. Bring me into your presence. And Father, in this moment, if you've prayed that prayer, you are radically different. You are changed forever. Your faith in Jesus has forever changed you. And we bless you for that, Father. We love you. Guide our weeks. Guide our time. Protect us from distraction. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, we love you. Next week we'll be talking about prayer some more. We'll see you there.